When you find yourself in darkness, all alone, one of your greatest hopes is to find just that little bit of light. You yearn for it. You long to be able to, to see and to have warmth and to know you're not all alone. On just a few occasions, I have gone out and tried to hunt. And I say I've, I've tried to hunt because the definition of hunt is to pursue and kill a wild animal for sport or food. I have gone out and sat in the woods, but I've not officially hunt, hunted yet. <laughs> On one occasion this past fall, I went out to a piece of land and got there early in the morning, all by myself. It was probably 5, 5.30 in the morning, complete and utter darkness. And I kind of had an idea of where I was going, and I had a light. I didn't use it the whole way as I walked down the path, but as I walked down the path, it was very frightening. <laughs> The woods were on one side, a field was on the other side, and I just, I kept imagining something at any moment was going to jump out of the woods and get me, <laughs> make me very afraid. Uh, I made my way up to a, a, a stand in a tree and sat there in the darkness, all alone, in the cold, and occasionally I would see something walk by. What is that? And I'd be frightened. I, I couldn't see. I was unaware of what was going on around me. I was ignorant of everything around me. I was all alone. I suppose I could have called for help, but I was all alone. And there was this feeling of, I just wish I could see a little bit of light. And gradually, as the sun began to, to rise, I saw a field with the mist being burned away, everything coming to light. I could see everything clearly. I began to have warmth in my body, and I, I wasn't afraid anymore. Sometimes life is like that, isn't it? We, we walk through life in periods of darkness, and we can be afraid. We feel alone. We feel ignorant of the trials, the difficulties we're going to face until they are, are right there on us. And we long for light. We long to have someone with us. We long for warmth. We, we long for belonging. We long to see clearly what is ahead of us. And so we have to decide as we walk through the darkness, how am I going to, to be able to see? How am I going to have light? What will rescue me from this darkness in which I find myself? Worse than facing difficulties in this life and the darkness of this life is living a life without the knowledge of God. Living life without the knowledge of who God is and knowing Him personally, having an intimate relationship with Him. And our passage this morning speaks about light. Jesus speaks about light. He proclaims to everyone who will hear, to everyone in it who is in this hearing, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want to take our text in two main parts this morning and it simply goes along with the main theme of this message Jesus is the light of the world who brings life and who also brings judgment Jesus is the light of the world who brings life and judgment you remember the context where we are in the book of John 
We've been following along as Jesus makes himself known more and more. And in the last couple of chapters, there's been this great conflict between Jesus and the Jews, which is intensifying. And every time they get upset and they seek to kill him, he just ups the ante. He takes it a step further. He makes himself equal with God, and they are ready to destroy him. They're ready to kill him because of how angry he is making them with his words and his claims. We could say that our passage for today is scene three, part two, of the scenes at the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Remember, scene one would have been as Jesus went up privately to the feast. His brothers were urging him to make himself known. Go up to this feast and make yourself known. But Jesus bided his time. He said it wasn't the will of the Father yet to go, and yet later he went up privately. And then we see Jesus stands up in the middle of the feast and proclaims that he is the bread of life. He proclaims himself in this feast. And then time goes on and we come to the end, the last day of the feast, the great day, John calls it. And Jesus stands up once again and declares that he is the one who gives living water. If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink, and out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. It will spring up from within him. He's speaking about the Spirit. Jesus is making these audacious claims about his identity. And we see from these chapters, he's not only making these claims about finding satisfaction in him. He is saying that, but he's also claiming to be something greater. John wants us to see in his writing this book all these connections back to the Old Testament people of Israel and their wanderings in the wilderness. We've seen this from the very beginning in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. He's taking us back over and over again to the Old Testament. Here we find the fulfillment of all of those themes, of all of those promises in the person and work of Jesus. We have seen the connections with Moses. Jesus is the, the real one who will lead his people in safety and salvation. We see connections back to the manna which came from heaven. Jesus is the real bread which has come down for hev- from heaven, which will satisfy your souls and give you what you need. We've seen connections from the water that flowed from the rock. Jesus is the one who gives this water, the Holy Spirit, to those who come to him and drink and are delighted in all that he is him. We see all of these connections, and we also see the connection with the Feast of Booths. They're celebrating God's provision for his people in the wilderness as they were rescued from Egypt. And so it's only right that we would look at this passage and be thinking in our minds, what is he going to be talking about next? He's going to be talking about more connections with the Israelites in the wilderness. And so we come with this broad context thinking through Jesus' claims here among the crowds and among the Jews. You may ask, though, what happened to this paragraph of Scripture that we just bypassed from verses 53 of chapter 7 all all the way through chapter 8, verse 11? I won't take a lot of time to explain that, but just sufficient to say this is, 
paragraph is not found in the oldest and earliest and best manuscripts. That's the, some of the, the earliest copies of the New Testament scripture do not include this section of the woman caught in adultery. And so I, I think that's the best procedure to, to go ahead with the text as we have it, as we best have it. And if you do that, we'll also see that verse 12 of chapter 8 connects perfectly with verse 52 of chapter 7. It flows seamlessly. This is Jesus, part 2 of the last day, the great day of the feast in which he stands and makes another proclamation. Even as people are, the crowds are divided over Jesus. Who is he? He's the Christ. Some believe in him, some don't. There's division among the officers. They are sent to arrest Jesus, and yet they didn't lay a hand on him because no one spoke like this. And even there's division among the, the highest order of the Jewish leaders, Nicodemus, speaks on behalf of Jesus that we ought to give him a fair hearing. In the midst of this confusion, in the midst of this division among the people, Jesus again stands up and proclaims his identity. So we'll take it in two parts. Jesus is the light of the world that brings life, and Jesus is the light of the world which brings judgment. Notice that first statement in Verses 12 through 20. Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Notice there's a statement of his identity. And then there is a promise conditioned upon following Jesus. The statement of identity is I am the light of the world. We've seen this theme of light already in John chapter 1. Verses 4 through 5 and verse 9. You remember that from the prologue. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, which enlightens every person, was coming into the world. This speaks of Jesus as the revelation of God. He has explained who God is. This is the light of the world coming into the world, giving us understanding and knowledge of who God is. God has come down in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. But not only do we have connections in the book of John, we'll see another one from chapter 3 in, in a few moments, but there are also connections, as I've mentioned, with the Old Testament, Testament in particular with the Israelites who were rescued out of Egypt and wandered in the wilderness. Consider, for example, Exodus 13, 21. After God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, the scripture says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. And as I said, this makes sense because we're already thinking in terms of the people of Israel in the Old, Te Old Testament having been rescued from slavery in Egypt. But there are also uh, themes throughout the Old Testament about light, about being a light for the nations about light for revelation, about the light of God's salvation. In particular, a couple come to mind from the book of Isaiah. 
speaking of the servant of the Lord who will come. Listen to Isaiah 42, verses 6 through 8. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Did you see that phrase, a light for the nations? Also Isaiah 49, 5 through 6. Again, speaking of the servant of the Lord, this one who would come in God's name as God's representative and rescue his people. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. From Exodus 13, we see God as a guiding presence. He is with them. He is guiding them, leading them to salvation. From Isaiah, we see the light is the promised Messiah who will come, giving, uh, extending His salvation, not only with Israel in particular, but extending it throughout the whole world. He, Jesus is the light, not only for Israel, but He is the light of the world. Jesus proclaims Himself as this Messiah who has come to rescue God's people from their sins. But notice it's, the promise is conditioned on following Jesus. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We've seen several ideas of what being a disciple of Jesus Christ means. And this gives us another angle, hearkening back to when his disciples first followed him in John. Following Jesus, committing one's way after him, following in his same paths, patterning one's life after him. In light of the condition of receiving this promise, we ought to examine ourselves. Examine your own discipleship. How many times in your life could you examine your paths and your decisions and it does not look like you are following Jesus? Whoever follows Jesus will not walk in darkness. You, many of you, all of you perhaps, call yourselves Christians. I wonder if we might use the term follow. Could you say of yourselves that I follow Jesus. Yeah, I sin, I struggle, I fight, I'm fighting this fight of faith, but I am following Jesus. The pattern of my life is in the direction of Jesus Christ. Of course, we, we know that there is God's grace undergirding that. We know that it's God's grace which caused us to follow Him in the first place, right? We've got to get the order right God's grace comes to you and then you follow Him. Well, we, we affirm the truth in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. We proclaim 
not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, God did this for you. Without your effort, without your strength, without your goodness, He shone the light in your heart and you saw Jesus' face and you said, this is glorious and I need Jesus. And then He turns your life and you begin following Him. You're following Him as evidence that He has first done this previous work in your heart. And yet, we, shouldn't, we should take this seriously, this following after Jesus, this seeking to pattern our lives after His. And the promise which comes with it, they will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This assumes that we are all in darkness by default, by nature. Every human who lives is in darkness. If you are not in Christ, you are still walking around in dark, darkness, groping around, trying to find your way trying to find some light, trying to find a knowledge of who God is. And if it weren't for God working, we would all be deserted in darkness, all alone and without God in the world. But what does it mean to have the light of life? You will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As I contemplated this and thought through scripture and thought about the principles of scripture it seems that we can connect these back to particularly the connections that we saw in the other parts of scripture exodus isaiah other parts in john i think it's pointing to three three main ideas one of them being having a joy in the knowledge of who god is in the face of jesus christ without God revealing himself to us. We do not know who he is. We're left in the dark about who God is. If, you are, if you're pursuing knowledge of God by any other route other than Jesus, then you are left in the dark. Jesus has explained who he is. And we have a joy now because we not only know about God, but we know him through Jesus Christ. But there's also a joy in the presence of of God who is leading us to salvation. As God was with his people guiding them by the fire at night, God is with his people now because of Jesus in the Holy Spirit guiding us to salvation. He is leading us. He will not leave us in darkness. He will cause us to persevere through the midst of this life. And there's great joy in the presence of God knowing that he is with us that He's for us, that He will not leave us alone. And related to this idea is the idea that we have joy now at recognizing that we have been rescued from darkness and death. We've been rescued. It's not just that, that we can know God and that He's with us. It's also that He has rescued us from sin and death and darkness. We, we now see where we could have gone without God without Christ, where we definitely would have gone without Christ, and now we know He has rescued us. This ought to promote within us a great joy in God, a delight in God, because He has rescued us. In 1998, I went to Togo, West Africa. 
I was there for over two months, and I got really, really sick. I got malaria and came very close to the point of death. I was rescued. My mother arranged everything so that she was able to come all the way to Africa and be with me until I could safely fly back home. She still says, I love you to Africa and back. Literally, she does. When I got back, I received a blood transfusion, and I felt almost, almost instantly, I felt like a new man. <laughs> I was 19 or 19 years old, and I thought, they must have given me the blood of a, a 16 or 17-year-old because I felt really strong and <laughs> I felt really young and revived so old at 19, right? But I felt so good. And after that, I looked back on having how I was spared and how I made it through that difficult trial in my life, how I could have died, how something bad, worse could have happened to me. And do you know what I did after that? I said, I am not going to take this for granted. I'm going to live every day for the glory of God like it is my last day. I am going to live for His glory. And then do you know what happened? It lasted for a few weeks probably. And then I caught myself thinking selfishly, thinking about my own pleasures, my own desires. I had forgotten what I had been rescued from. How could, we, how could we possibly forget how Christ has rescued us from darkness and sin and death? Well, part of it's because we are human. We do fight with indwelling sin within us. We, we find ourselves not doing the thing that we want to do and doing the very thing that we hate. And His grace to us, even now, ought to drive us yet again to this amazing joy that we have in Jesus Christ. We ought to shout for joy when we are singing, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. He has rescued us from sin and darkness and death. That's what it says in Job 33 verse 30. In Psalm 56, 13, that we have been given the light of life because we have been rescued from the pit. To have the light of life means that you have Jesus who is the light of the world and He is your joy. Yes, you will face trials. You will have sorrows. There will be instances of darkness and yet through this we have the light of life in Jesus Christ. How does that change how you face each day? How does that change how you face trials and difficulties? I want to encourage you to make efforts to stir reminders of this up in your heart. Stir up your emotions with the truth of Christ who has rescued us from death and darkness. It's not wrong to stir up your emotions if you're doing it with truth. Make efforts to be here each week. Make efforts to get together with your brothers and sisters that you might be stirred up. Make efforts to read God's word that you would be reminded of how you've been rescued. Let it lead you to worship Him. Not only in your words and your songs, but in your life. And then let it lead you to share 
this good news with others. The scripture tells us, Jesus tells us in another part, you are the light of the world, reflecting his glory. Let your light so shine that others may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It's not enough to keep this joy to ourselves. Let your light shine, brothers and sisters. The Jews object Give a challenge to Jesus. You're testifying about yourself. Jesus overrules them at each step of the way. Even if I do testify to myself, my testimony is true. And the reason you're not coming to the light, Jewish leaders, is because you don't know God. He overrules them at every objection. Until he makes another Statement. There seems to be a break at verse 20, and there's another statement in verse 21. He says to them again, I am going, going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus is the light of the world who brings life, and he is also the light of the world which brings judgment to those who reject him. Verses 21 to 30. I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot go. In chapter 3, verses 19 through 20, we see the same theme of Jesus as the light who brings judgment. The light came into the world, but people hated the light. They preferred the darkness because their sins were evil. They didn't want to come to the light lest their evil deeds would be exposed. We've already seen how these chapters point to the fact that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. It also points to this fact that Jesus is the light which exposes sin. Those who refuse to come to Jesus, the light, it's because of this hatred of the light, this love for the darkness, it points to the judgment they will receive. Jesus says, you will die in your sin. He changes from the singular here to a couple of times later when he repeats it to the plural. You will die in your sins. There may not be a huge difference there, but I think one difference we might could find is that sin singular, their sin singular, was the sin, the root sin of unbelief. They refused to put their faith in Jesus Christ, the light of the world. You will die in your unbelief. You will die in your sin, rejecting me. Notice the contrast between those who have the light of life and those who will die in their sin. And there's com confusion among the Jews about who Jesus is, about who his Father is. And Jesus points out in verses 23 through 24 that it's because of your origin. I'm from above. You're from below. This is, this is who you are. You just don't get it until you are enlightened by the Holy Spirit. I am from above. You are from below. And look at what he says once again. In verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins. And here's, here's the, the qualifying statement. For unless... You believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now it's interesting if you, if you take a kind of word-for-word word rendering of this, 
it would read something like, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And then look at their response. They say, who are you? It's as if they think Jesus left out some words. He says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And they say, who are you? I am, unless you are what? Of course, we might recognize that Jesus is speaking of himself as the great I am, as God stood before Moses in the burning bush and said, you, you should tell them that the I am has sent you. Jesus is proclaiming himself as the I am. I am. He's calling them to recognize his divine identity. Recognize who I am. You haven't figured it out yet. You haven't come to the right conclusion yet. I'm not just another Moses. I am Yahweh in the flesh. I am him. Unless you believe this, you will die in your sins. He says he has much to say to them about their sins. Again, pointing to the judgment that he has for them. And yet they still don't understand. And so Jesus makes kind of this definitive statement in verse 28. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. The same phrase. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I take when you lift up the Son of Man to mean in particular the cross of Jesus Christ. When they lift him up, he's charging them with the sin of lifting him up on the cross. The very thing that will give life to those who come to him is the thing by which they will be judged. The lifting up of the I Am, of the Son of Man, of God in human flesh. But did you catch Jesus' prophecy of the judgment? He says, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Some think this refers to after they have died, then they will know. I seem to think it, it means, more literally, when they crucify Him, there will be a knowledge that this is him. And yet they will still be unwilling to bow their knee to this one they recognize as the I am. Their, their hearts have been hardened so that they will not go back. They will not turn away from their unbelief. They will continue stubbornly, just like the people of Israel, in their unbelief, even though they recognize who he is, the I am, and they're still refusing him. And then it will be too late. They will have missed the opportunity to come to him in faith. This should be a warning to us in a couple of ways. One is when, when you receive a warning outwardly from the scripture, inwardly from the Holy Spirit, submit to it. Do not persist in your stubborn unbelief. Do not persist in going away from God, but go to Him. It should also serve as a warning to us that there is a limited time of opportunity to turn in faith to Jesus Christ. That goes for 
you who are here who do not believe in Christ, there will only be a limited window for you to trust in Jesus. Hear me pleading with you. Hear me pleading with you to turn to Him in faith. Don't reject it. There's a, a, you think you have all the time in the world. Don't we all think we have all the time in the world? As you get older, you, you come to see you don't have all the time in the world. And yet, we still think, oh, I have 20, 30 years. Children, teenagers, you do not have all the time in the world. Come to Jesus in faith at the hearing of this preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. This is why we have checkups at our doctors, why you go to the dentist regularly. This is why when you turn 50 years old, you have this thing called a colonoscopy, which I hear is really terrible. It's because you don't want to be surprised by something coming up in your health that it's too late, right? You hear stories about friends and family members who they find out a deadly diagnosis and it is too late to do anything. Brothers and sisters, do not wait. Do not wait, friends, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And you who have family members and friends who are not believers, plead with them. Plead with them as you have opportunity. Plead with the Father on their behalf. Intercede for them regularly. Pour out your heart to God for them that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ, that it will, this warning will not be wasted, that they will come to Him in faith in Jesus Christ. They will die in their sins without Jesus Christ. That means their sins will be counted to their account. Every sin they've ever done punished fully acknowledged consequences for those sins can you imagine what a horror that would be this is an important warning for us brothers and sisters and friends Jesus is the light of the world that brings life and he is the light of the world that brings judgment follow Jesus Find your joy in Him. Charles Spurgeon says, The same sun which melts the wax hardens the clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. As you hear the gospel, friends, let your heart be melted by the glory which is in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.